I'm Kevin. And I'm Josh. And on this episode of the Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry, we talked to director of photography, Brandon Cox. Started years ago on some films such as The Collector, Heist, and more recently, The Marauders and Line of Duty. His knowledge base of being not only a DP, but a uh, DP camera operator is, is remarkable. And one of the things that I took from the entire conversation was the way he lights a scene, the way he views teamwork on set, and just his passion for filmmaking as a whole. It is evident that he does not do it for um, the paycheck. He does it for the love of the art. Yeah, no, that's awesome though, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I had fun when you guys were, when we were, did that thing, man. It's so funny, Dave's in town. I literally just, I had uh, dinner with him the other day and then I had uh, lunch with him the other day too on Saturday. So it's like, oh, nice. we try to catch up as much as we can. We're, we're, we're looking for an excuse to work together again. So. Yeah, always. I saw that post where you guys were doing something for veterans. What was that all about? Oh, yeah. So that was... Um, that was when was that Wednesday night or Thursday night? So he called me and said, Hey, you want to go to dinner? I said, Yes, sir. So I met him at his hotel and he said, Hey, I have to make a quick stop. Um, do you know the the sports commentator Jake Laser? I was like, Well, yeah, I know him. I don't know him, but I know who he is. And he's like, Yeah, we've been friends for a while. And he's his gym's up on sunset and it's behind this restaurant. And um he does this thing for, for veterans that have PTSD and, you know, that were like homeless and they have a hard transition coming back to, um, you know, it, back into society. So Jay runs this free program where these guys can come train together and they're all together. They're like a team. Nobody's, you know, because the number one thing right now with veterans is, is suicide. Yeah. And a lot of these guys just take their own lives. It's crazy. Yeah. And, um, so he went, we went there, these guys spoke to Dave and Dave sort of broke down and I got a little emotional and it was really cool. So I just filmed their little team chant thing and then we all oh, went out cool. for it. So, um, yeah, man, that's what that was. It was really cool though. You know? So I was, I was, I was like, that was really, really interesting. So that's one um, of, that's one of those moments you don't forget that stays with you for a while. Oh man. Yeah. That was like, I mean, Dave was like, I don't deserve among you guys you guys are real heroes you know dave gets very like he internalizes he gets really emotional about things so yeah. it's like uh yeah it was it really hit him and me too because my dad was a vietnam veteran and yeah. you know, they didn't have they didn't have programs like that when he was coming out so i was just yeah right same here him. same here my dad uh was in vietnam i was just talking with someone about this now dad was in vietnam in the marine corps and then uh you know got that was out. Mine. oh really yeah, my dad was in the marine corps too yeah yeah. Wow. What do you he's know? Still, what years he was there? Yeah, he was there sixty-eight and sixty-nine, I think. Okay, so he was right after my dad. Dad was sixty-seven, sixty-eight, and then he got yeah. uh, malaria and got put onto <sighs> one of the hospital boats, and that's how he finished out his his tour. <laughs> was yeah. trying to stay alive from malaria on a hospital boat. That's awful, man. <laughs> yeah, my dad. He finished and he was in third force recon and oh, wow. yeah, like, yeah, some, just some gnarly shit. Yeah. You know? da but, da dad got out of the Marines and then, uh, went into air force special ops. So. Wow. That's where he, he was forced retired at age 60 and they were like, you're too old. You can't do it anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, he went out and went, uh, went, went to work for alphabet soup contracting, uh, and just retired last year at like 76. 
get out of here. Yeah, he's a beast, man. I'm like, if I got 25% of your genes, man, like, I'm gold. <laughs> Dude, he's just like, oh, that's all right. You guys want to let me go? I'll go somewhere else. I get paid more money. Yeah, he got paid trips. So it was, it was good for yeah. the fam, you know? Oh, of course. Yeah, he's like, well, maybe if I make a couple shekels here. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll retire and then uh, yeah. everything will be good. I'll just sit on the golf course and yeah. just, you know, drink my drink my beer and be chill you know that's basically how it happened and then you know he retired last year i had the kid last year so it worked out so now he just gets to enjoy being a granddad you know so there you go there you go well thank him for his service there yeah man go. same to your dad you know small world that they were both literally might have been ships passing each other in the night you know oh you you never know man with yeah. with, with guys who might dad would be like what's his last name oh wait a minute i knew a so-and-so you know <laughs> yeah, right? i knew a, i knew a long wait a minute you yeah. know it's like that's what that, that always happens. It's so. small community, right? Just like us, you know, like people want to think that film is this big community, but it's really kind of really small insular. And, you know, once you've met someone, you, you run into someone that knows that guy or has met him at one point. Yeah, no, it, it, it's the same thing. Yeah. With, with, yeah, with film, I was, I had a meeting with a production designer that we're going to be working together maybe. And we started talking and then I started telling her my story and I said, Oh, I had a friend that did this. And she's like, wait a minute, what's his name? And I told her, she's like, well, Oh my God, I know that guy. And then, Oh, you went to AFI. Oh wait. No, you know, and then it just started blossoming from there. Snowball, oh, I worked yeah. with him. Oh, I know him. Yeah. It's, it's like that all the time. It's crazy. Like yeah. even, Sorry, even Dave, you know, like, Oh no, 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 it's okay. Even Dave, like I knew somebody that he knew that we didn't know that we knew that is weird. It's like stuff like that happens all the time. That happened on the, on the, when we were working with Dave on the Xbox thing, and for anyone, you know, in case you don't know, we're talking about Dave Batista. But um, when we were on the Xbox thing and he came in, my, my wife was the wardrobe person, was the costume designer. And oh, that's uh, right. okay. he came in and realized that his girlfriend and her knew each other, had worked on a Kevin Smith film earlier that year. And so Dave was like, oh, shit, you guys know each other? And I'm like, yeah, you know, they're talking shop and everything else. It's just a small world, man. How does uh, a small world, small world. And moments like that just continue to baffle you, even though it happens yeah. once a month. You're yeah. like, oh, you know, so-and-so from this project <laughs> two years ago. And you're, we still seem to be amazed that it's that small of a, you know, niche yeah. market that we're in. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's, it is, it is very small and insular. Um, you yeah, know, but that's, that's what it is. It's, 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 uh, you, you find, you find that people you work with and then once you start talking to like you guys, like yourselves or others that you're like, Oh wait, Oh yeah, I knew that guy that he works over here or whatever. You, you, you just, yep. you sort of make those connections, but that's, what's great about, you know, the film business, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I would say less, tell us a little bit about like how you got started for anyone, you know, that doesn't really kind of know your career. Tell us how you got started, you know, how you kind of worked your way in and all that stuff. Oh, sure. Well, um, I originally started, I was a illustrator and I was in art school in Savannah college of art and design in Savannah, Georgia. I don't know if you guys know that school, but they call it SCAD for short. Yeah. But the, um, the dude we just had on before you, bro, was, um, the, Tampa Bay Film Commissioner Tyler Martin Olich went to SCAD. Here we go again. Oh wow! Oh, that's well. There we go. See, there we go. Yeah, another SCAD alum. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I know I went there and um, I'd gone there in '92. I graduated high school in 1992. I went there from '92 to '94. 
Um, I met my girlfriend there. We then, um, I quit because I wanted, because at the time, the early 90s, SCAD didn't really have a film program. Mm -hmm. It was called video, video design or whatever. And I was an illustrator. And I had taken a few classes, but, you know, um, it was, we were using like Hi8 cameras and uh, Panasonic M2 cameras and really no film cameras, not really a lot of lighting. They had, you know, reel to reel, not reel to reel, but like a tape to tape editing machines and, and, and whatnot. So it was really, you know, in its infancy, right? Right. And then, so I left and I bounced around. We moved to Florida, we moved to Maryland, North Carolina, all around. And then I decided like in 96, let's move out to LA. So we moved to Orange County and my goal was to go to USC. Like I wanted to go to USC. And then while I was, while I was, um, you know, preparing to move out to Los Angeles, mm -hmm. I saw one of those every year AFI televised the AFI Lifetime Achievement Award, right? Mm -hmm. And I think in 95, Spielberg got it. And Spielberg's like one of my favorite directors. And so I watched this thing. And at the end of it, they say, oh, the AFI Conservatory is a small conservatory that, you know, it just basically gave the infomercial about AFI and what it was. And I was like, oh, what, what is that? And I restarted researching it. And as I'm researching it and, you know, I'm not filming at this point, right? Because I'm just working and, and but I'm watching tons of movies, doing my Quentin Tarantino, going to the video store every week and yeah, yeah. watching tons of movies. And at that time, Quentin Tarantino had done, uh, he'd written True Romance. He wrote, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, I can't, I can't, why is it? Reservoir Dogs, director Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. It just kind of been fresh in everybody's minds. So like that sort of like time of filmmaking was the, you know, the Kevin Smiths, the, the yeah. Tarantinos, you know, David Fincher was coming along, Michael yeah. Bay, all these guys. So I was still, you know, and I had a laser disc and I was feeding my brain images like on a weekly basis, right? Because the only way you could watch movies, Letterbox at the time, was is if you had a laser disc player. Oh, you know, geez. that I, that that takes it. That takes you away because videotapes didn't have them, right? Right. And, uh, and you know, there weren't sixteen by nine HD TVs. I had this big disc, and then you had to flip it and the whole thing. But you could see a movie. You could see a movie in surround sound, and you could see a movie Letterbox, and that was 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 important to me, right? But anyway, so. I moved out to LA. I lived, worked in Orange County. And while I was working there, I worked at Jamba Juice. I don't know if you guys know that place, yeah, Jamba yeah. Juice. I, I oh, worked yeah. there for like three, four years. And then it, my schedule worked out to where I could go to school and film. I, I, and I, I, I couldn't get into USC with the art credits I had because art school is way different than, you know, a liberal arts school. And so I had to go to this school called Orange Coast College, right? Mm -hmm. And so from Orange Coast College, they had a film program. And I was, I started shooting a lot of things. I learned how to cut film, like tape splice film, um, all the things, you know, put sound to this, edit, all of that stuff. And on the mean, in, meanwhile, just having the goal of like, all right, we're going to go to USC, go to USC. And then well, I, I accrued enough credits up. It was like 98, 99. I'd done a couple short films. And then I realized, I was like, wait a minute, okay not really going to go to SC I'm, and I'm really not going to go to AFI yet because I don't have to work. Let me go check on SCAD and see what's going on there. So I took a trip there and the whole department had changed. Everything had changed. They, they've got cameras, they got editing systems, they got lights, the whole thing. So I was like, I'd rather be a little, a big fish in a small pond than a little fish in a big pond. So I'm going to go back to SCAD. So we moved back. I went there and I shot everything. 
And I went to the library and I read all the ASCs of like all the movies I love. I just filled my brain with stuff. I called Photochem because I wanted to find out how they did all the photochemical processes for Saving Private Ryan for seven, for all these things, right? And then so I did that, finished school there. I applied to AFI. I got in. And then I went back. Yeah. And I went back there and went to AFI from 2002, 2004. Uh, met some amazing people, got out of AFI and a classmate of mine from there, got his first music video. And from that music video, um, he then had, had me started shooting his second camera, second unit. Then he started taking me around the country. And then from there I accrued enough footage to then he said, yeah, take your footage. And then I put it all together. I got a real, he introduced me to an agent. And then from there, she started getting me work and I started shooting and that was, that's sort of the, the how it goes, man. Nice. That was, that's, that's the long cliff notes version. Sorry if it was, no, if you're it all was good. too long, but that was, that was it really. What were some of those first mu- uh, music videos that you did? The very first music video I shot as a cinematographer, funny enough, was a Backstreet Boys video. No and way. It w- yes. And it was based on a documentary that came out in the 80s called Heavy Metal Parking Lot. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No. But it's hilarious. It's hilarious. So basically, it's all these kids in the 80s, early 80s, I think it's like 83, at, in a parking lot somewhere in rural Maryland, talk all, you know, I mean, that you can't, like, you can't, like, it's just, it's just like golden footage, right? So it's like really bad 80s video. And they're just interviewing teenagers and 20-somethings about like, hey, so what brings you out here? They're like, yeah, man, Judas Priest. Bro. <laughs> you know? and, it, and so anyway, they wanted to base a video on that documentary. And so I went and got older cameras. And then we shot that with older cameras and then we dumbed it down in the color and, hmm. and the, and the post. So it felt like it was, I think the name of the song was just want you to know. I think that's the name of the song. I'm pretty sure it is, man. It's probably on YouTube or whatever, but I mean, and then you'll look at that and go, God, what Brandon Cox shot this? What is this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what I, camera, I, I or, like, what cameras you were using? I think there were beta cameras and we oh, just geez. dumbed oh them down. God. I mean, there were, there were, they were beasts, right? But yeah. it gave that – because back then in the day, you know, they had like tube cameras mm-hmm. and they couldn't handle highlights. So the highlights would burn and I had like star filters for the concert stuff. <laughs> I made like a whole parkan array of like – it looked like a, it looked like a Metallica concert or something, you know, nice. like a Judas Priest concert. And so we filmed one day all the exterior stuff because there was like guys in the in the – in the documentary doing donuts in the parking lot and they're all like raging and really bad hair and really bad clothing. And so we just basically mimicked that, use that as a, as a Bible. Right. And then just hit with the backstreet boys and it was hilarious, you know, wow. I'm, so, I'm going to have to go yeah, look that up now. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was going to be the beginning and the end of my career because <laughs> I was like, wow, this doesn't look good at all, you know, but people loved it because it felt retro. It felt nostalgic. And so that's why it, it went. And then from there I did, um, a video for young Jeezy, the hip hop artist called, mm-hmm. um, soul survivor. And then I did, um, the Atlanta hip hop scene was like this group Dem franchise boys called, yeah. I think they like it. And then I did Chris Brown and then it just started to just go from there. And then, wow. you know, some of the bigger, some of the bigger acts I did were, I did a couple of videos for Eminem. Mm-hmm. Um, 
few videos for Lincoln Park. Nice. Um, Will I am so that sort of thing that was further down the career as that went along. But yeah, music video and this is a good segue because music videos prepared me for features. Yeah, and how, how especially so? prepared me prepared me for working with Stephen Miller, the guy for, I work with consistently for six six movies. Um, because of the fact that you have to work very fast, mm. and because of the fact that you have to, you know, really get great results quickly. Right. And so, you know, you can't be super precious over everything, but yet you have to make it look good. So, yeah. Nice. That kind of. Now, are you still doing music videos? Out of curiosity. I. It's funny enough. I did one earlier in the year. I. I occasionally do one every now and then, and I did one. Earlier in, early in the year for a group called Asking Alexander. I think they're from England. They're like a rock band. And we did this really cool seven-minute video that was basically looked like a – it looked like a late 70s, early 80s horror movie. So it was really cool. We really messed with the footage a lot and um, gave it a really, really unique look. And that's on, that's on my reel and that's also online right now. And it's done really well. Um, nice. but occasionally I do one, like if I got, you know, if Eminem, if I got another Eminem one or a big video or something, I'd probably do it. Cause I think they're fun. You know, yeah. if you haven't done them in a while, they're fun. Their budgets have crazily dropped, you know, way low, but, um, well, that's just how the, the market, the market's unfortunately yeah. shifted and that's, you know, a big reason. And no one's, no one's immune to that, whether it's a small artist or a big artist and the same goes with, you know, small indie films and large like large um hundred percent you know, it's just it's just the market in 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 how media has shifted so oh yeah um yeah it's nice 100%. i guess in in a weird way it's kind of nice to know that you're you know you're not immune to it either you know whether it's a small or a large um project well i mean perfect example is um lawrence Shear, um the dp of joker who's a good friend of mine um like two weeks ago I, cause we talk all the time. He's sort of a mentor to me. Mm -hmm. Um, he had said something, uh, he's like, Hey man, I think I'm going to go do this music video in New York. I was like, you're going to do a music video. He's like, yeah, man, it'll be, it'll be fun. I was like, go for it, dude. You'll have a blast. <laughs> you know, he went there knocked it out. He said he had a blast, yeah. you know, and it was fun. And you know, he, you know, the guy shot the biggest comic book rated R movie of all time. I think it's the biggest rated R movie of all time. It's probably going to be nominated for the Oscar and win, you know, and I hope he wins. And yet he's still, you know, going to shoot a music video. So it's not, you know, it's not beneath anybody. It's, it's, right. it's, I think it's anytime you can be on set and anytime you can shoot, I think is a good opportunity regardless of what it is. You well, know? Isn't that the great thing about our business too? It's like, no matter how long you've been doing it, you always seem to get on a project and learn something from it. Oh yeah. I mean, a few weeks ago. Uh, I, this is an example. I had a friend call me, a director friend. We did a job for Polo, uh, Ralph Lauren over in Norway over the um, over March, in March this year. Mm -hmm. And then he called me. He's like, "Hey, it's we're not shooting it, but it's kind of behind the scenes. But they also use it because they use some of the behind the scenes fashion stuff as like footage to go with the commercial. You know, it's a, it was a photo shoot with behind the scenes, right? Right. And I was, he was like, "I know you're DP. You don't shoot behind. That's like, dude, I don't care, man." <laughs> Whatever. Let's go have fun. It's a couple hours. Let's have fun. And I did because it was like, you know, I get to hang with my friend, get to shoot some model in front of a cool car and yeah, yeah. overlooking the city at night. It was fun. You know, so sure. we did it. Yeah. So I would say kind of something that you just said earlier about having to move really quick on set. One thing I've always like 
noticed with you is that you tend to do a lot of operating, if not all of it. Um, yeah. Is that out of necessity for speed or is that just a, a personal preference of yours that you, you know, kind of started operating and just have carried that with you or what's the story with that? Uh, it's kind of a little bit of both. It's, it's, it's at a speed also not being able sometime to get what's in your brain mm. and then try to interpret it to an operator. But it's also, it's a control thing too. You know, you know, it's, it's that it's a control thing and it is like, I love to do it. Mm. I really love to do it. And if you ask Roger Deakins and, and uh, you know, Ellswood sometimes, or even Robert Richardson, they can, they, they operate, you know, within right. now, within their means, obviously Robert Deakins is not running around with a steady cam, you know, right. you, you get somebody to do that for you. But you know, Richardson, like he loves to operate. I love to operate. I'm not saying I'm Bob Richardson, but it's just like Larry even operates too, mm-hmm. man. I mean, Larry operated B camera on Joker. Yeah. So it's not, it's not beneath them. I think it's just, you're, when you have a feeling when you're behind the camera and you're sort of like have a vibe with an actor you know how they're going to move and you want to move mm. with them. And sometimes you can't, you can't express that to an operator, you know, right. unless you have a really good operator, which I do. And, and Larry had a really good operator that did that whole sequence in the bathroom. Like that was just that operator and him. And they just choreographed that whole thing with Joaquin and that weird dance that he did. Right. But I mean, that, you know, that, that, that's a feeling, you know, that guy just went on intuition and they just, they, that wasn't scripted. They just happened. They just threw him in there and they said, do it, you know, and you got to have that. And I think a good operator has to have instincts and intuition. It just, it's one of those things where I just love holding the camera. I love being behind the camera because there are two types of DPs or DPs that sit by the DIT and they watch the monitor with the director. Right. And I don't discourage that at all. That's, that's a, that's a thing. You want to do it. That's great. There's also the other ones like me that want to be behind the camera and that's just where they like to function. Right. And I happen to be that guy. Yeah. You know, do you feel like you have a little bit better feel for, you know, you kind of talked about you're able to, you know, improvise a little bit more too, but do you feel like you're able to get less takes or that you're at least able to feel the performance out better from being there in the space with the actor? I I feel, I feel that because I'm the closest person to them. Mm. Right. In proximity. Right. Right. I'm right there, you know, and I've had instances where there was, for example, there was a scene in this film Stephen and I did called Marauders. Right. And there's a scene at the end. I don't know if anybody's not right. There's a scene in the end where two of our main actors, Jonathan Sheck and Adrian Grenier, are at odds with each other. And they're in a they're they're both pointing guns at each other. Right. And um Check had to go to this really Jonathan Check had to go to this really sort of deep emotional place and he was there and he did it again and you know we were going to cut and move on and I could see in his eyes I could see it in his eyes he wanted another take so I put the camera down I walked over to Steve and I said dude I think he really needs one more mm-hmm. he's like, you sure he's like, he's like oh man he's already crying I was like no I, just, I could just see it so I put the camera back up we do another take Steven's ecstatic because it's like better than the last one. Yeah. He, you know, he's like, I'm not saying I directed the scene or anything. Right. It's just one of those things that, you know, Larry's told me about this too, where he's had this sort of, he had the same sort of thing with Joaquin where they sort of were feeling each other out. Hmm. And, you know, he could tell Joaquin one another. So he goes and talks to Todd Phillips, the director. I mean, this all comes from experience of doing this a lot and also having 
a director that trusts his DP in order to come back and say something like that, you know, because normally directors will be like, what do you know, man? You're the cameraman. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, I'm not saying all directors, but a certain director, it takes a certain director to trust this cinematographer to see that. And after we finished the take, John looked at me and gave me a nod and said, thank you. And I was like, well, there you go. You know, cause I could see it, you know, and that's one, you know, that's one little nugget of like, yeah, being you're an operator. That's just like one thing of many, but, uh, and it makes you feel good when you do a good take and it's cool. And yeah, you do feel, I feel like you do see things you don't see when you're sitting at the monitor. Mm. You know, there's a disconnect for me when you sit at the monitor, whereas the eyes to the diopter and I'm old mother the camera and regardless of if I'm sitting, standing, whatever. Yeah. Um, I just, that just feels that way. So. I hope that answered your question on no, that one. No, no, beautifully. <laughs> I'm happy you brought up uh, Marauders. I, I actually really enjoyed the film. Um, and Oh, thank you. Thank um, you. So you know the scene I'm talking about uh, at the end when they're in the tunnels, right? 100% understood it. Um, yeah, yeah that, that was that was the one. Yeah, Adrian good. was fine, but Jonathan just – you know, actors are different, you know? They're like – it's like they each have their different ticks and their wind-ups, right? So you have to – like with Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage can just come in and do it, right? Whereas, you know, I worked with Gina Gershon and she needs time to sort of like get into it and get going with it. So everybody's different, man. And you have to adjust to that to, um, you know, it's, it's weird. You have like different pieces of the puzzle and you, you have to sort of like work with each one and each guy's different. So, yeah. But thank you for the compliment. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm glad what, you liked the movie. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, some pretty solid twists in there um, for, I mean, <laughs> at this point, I don't know how you can spoil a movie for people. If they haven't watched it, they may not. But um, the um, one one thing that I, I watching a few of your movies, I in Marauders actually specifically, I realized that you um, you're the kind of DP that you light the room. Am, am I am I wrong in that in that? Um, you are you are not wrong okay. at all. It's light the face, light the space, and not the face. Yeah, it, it became very evident um, about about halfway through the movie um, when they were in the second uh, bank robbery. That's when it, yeah. it dawned on me because up to that point, I'm looking at framing. I'm following along on the storyline. I mean, we're we're all filmmakers. You 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 have your moments where you kind of get captivated in the movie um, for sure. five minutes, and you're not paying attention to the art because you know yeah. the, you're paying attention to the dialogue, and then all of a sudden, your you know your brain shifts, and you're you're paying attention to framing and lighting and all this stuff. So. Um, at least that's how I um, watch movies, and there's been times where my wife's like, no, "Oh, you remember this?" And I'm like, "I'm like, oh, I guess I remember that." I was paying attention to how it was, um, you know, how it was color contrasted, and she's like, "What?" I'm like, "Sorry, that's <laughs> sorry." I, 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 yeah, no, that's hey, I'm look, my brain's running a million miles a minute when I'm watching a movie, so it's I, I I'm watching it for the story, I'm watching it for the art, I'm watching it for you know the you know all the technical aspects and everything, and then at the same time i'm still entertained you know um i wish i could go back to my like eight-year-old self sometimes and like when i watch raiders or star wars or whatever and just like watch it like i was a kid you know yeah. and just see it for this big nostalgia thing but now of course you know what though i still see movies like that sometimes and and, it, and when i do i get i get really happy and excited yeah stuff. for but, sure you know the last movie i felt that on was the last mission impossible like Oh, that 100%. What they did in that, in uh, Fallout, you know, it just gave, there was not a moment to where I was just like, 
it was one of the first films in a long time that I said that, or that and Sicario and um, or, or Blade Runner, the the Roger Deakins oh, Blade 100%. Runner, that I yeah. sat there and just go like, how are they doing all of this? You know, like I'm giddy, I'm in the story, I'm not paying attention to all the small bits because everything is working so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I know what you mean, man. Yeah, so it's, it's fun. To, I, I never really got to my question because uh, you know we we kind of oh, geeked out sorry. there for no you're fine i mean that's gonna <laughs> that's probably gonna happen another three times in this in this talk um, so with um with marauders uh line of duty the the newest one i i, I actually yeah. watched that this this past weekend um i've been trying to keep an eye on that and it was finally on amazon for me to be able to watch um when did you kind of shift over to that um light the room not the face kind of situation um there's there's a dp in the area that we work with quite often that that's his mentality um and i know you Uh a gaffer sorry a gaffer um actually you worked with him it was um andrew when we did the batista job the gaffer oh, nice. from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He, he has the same oh, philosophy um, where he lights the room and we've been on a lot of jobs where um, that's what he does. And even, you know, other various DPs will just say what they want. And next thing you know, he, the, you know, he's actually uh, in this area. He's famous for using um, uh, two twenty buys, uh, making what appears to be like the biggest book light in a, in a conference room. Um, and, and so, yeah, that and people to this day are like, Oh yeah, you're the one who did that. in in, in you know, because it's it's kind of like a running fun joke, but that's the fun joke, right? When when did you kind of start shifting to um, to the larger sources? I mean, I know a lot of DPs don't necessarily do that, and some DPs, um, yeah. you know, they follow their gaffer. Is this kind of your philosophy, and your gaffer kind of has to uh, follow along? Yeah, it's it is. It's it, you know, I, one of my favorite cinematographers was Harris Savitas, and you know he's he's passed away some years ago, but. I read a book with him and he just, you know, he's just believed in lighting spaces and not lighting actors and lighting actors fall within that. Mm. Now, granted, yes, you have to bring in a key light here and there or get some eye light, whatever, that sort of thing. But I just feel that like, I don't know, there's just something about that. It's just my mind likes that. And I just think when you light the room or wherever you are, it just because then everything's lit in reality you know we live in light and shadow we live in dark and light and all that and i just think it's cool when you can have contrast and people walk within light and with within and out of it and it just i don't know i I love i love you know practical lights you know and i normally work with the steven and i normally work the same production design and she gets and she'll fill a room with all that stuff she Mm -hmm. knows like christmas lights you know, she knows that like a big source is going to come from that window and, and Nico is her name and Nico and I always are looking for windows or ways of light sources to put at, into places. And so it just, it's just an aesthetic that's, that's stuck. And, and, you know, Larry's is very similar as well, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and he, he, he does the same thing. And a lot of guys do that. And, and, and I, I have to attribute it from, from Harris Savitas because he did this film, called the yards i think he did it with james gray i believe it was uh, i'm not sure but if that was a director but there's a movie with joaquin and i think Wahlberg and james Kahn and a bunch of other people charlize theron was in it and it was kind of a movie not many people saw but a photography in that movie is gorgeous and it's just dark and contrasting it takes place in brooklyn and just has this low con beautiful look and it's mm-hmm. saturated, but like the, the greens really pop and the blacks really there. And it's a bit milky and 
it just, you know, I mean, I heard of these things like I have this book, like Harris Vitas would take candles and he would take show card and bend it and like put it in a bunch of these candles in the room and you would, he would just light the scene with that. I mean, this wow. is like crazy stuff, but like, it's incredible, you know, because it's magic, man. I mean, that stuff's magic, you know? And I just, I, I, I always loved Harris's work and he, you know, he did David Fincher's the game. He did Zodiac. Mm -hmm. Yep. He, you know, he, the, the guy was so good and just like, you know, anybody who is a fan of Harris, they know, you know, either finding Forrester, it's just like that sort of philosophy is just sort of once I started doing it, I'm trying to think when I started, I think I did this movie called missing William. And I think from that movie, onward i started doing it because in the collector it was kind of like i had lights all over the place and stuff but because it would have to be dark room it was a horror movie and all that um and we were still having lights with on the set and all that but i think i slowly transitioned out of that once i did missing land because it was an i remember it was like an 18 day shoot and mm -hmm. i was like well shit man the only way i'm going to be able to do this is if like i can light these spaces quickly and you know go and right. then we could just shoot 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 and, and that's sort of how it happened out of this like weird way and it was a little bit of the music video of me and then this all happened and it went that way so but with yeah, the yeah, you go. with the collector i mean even if you weren't doing those large sources it, it worked in that world i mean it, that movie is so insanely contrasty and it's meant to be oh, that man, way yeah i mean yeah. The, the world that 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 takes place in um that diabolical man uh, it, it it works so do you do you shift your philosophy for certain scenes or for certain movies? I mean, at this point, you're probably doing large sources primarily, but is there like a scene or something that you can think of in either you know line of duty, heist, um, uh, marauders uh, that that you kind of did the complete opposite for a very specific reason? Well, I mean, again, anytime anybody mentions heist, I have like a, I have I get like a my brain does like a ratatouille thing where it like goes out of itself <laughs> and then comes back. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? That scene where the guy eats the food and he yep. goes out. Yeah. And well, and the reason I say that is because that movie was very difficult to make. Really? And you're stuck on a bus for weeks on end and there's nowhere to go, man. I mean, like, you're stuck. Right. I mean, you have 11 extras uh, and then you have like you, you know, Dave Bautista, Stephen Seffer, D.B. Sweeney's driving the bus and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And they're on the bus. And then you got to have all your crew guys on there. So the bus be, starts to become really, really small really quickly. Right. And and, and well, the way I did that was there's nine exterior, there's nine interior stuff and then there's day interior stuff. And then obviously there's stuff outside the bus. But I the bus didn't have the, the bus didn't run. Right we had a hard time finding this bus. And so then when it came to, we figured out how we we're going to tow the bus down this stretch of highway in mobile, Alabama with the police motorcade, the whole thing Then I had to light the bus inside. And what I did was I made a soft box on the right side of the bus. Um, you know, and there, there were no, there were no Asteras then there were no, um, yeah. quasars. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy they thing. I mean, it's not that far away, but we, we didn't have any of that still then. 
No, there were no there were no uh, LED lights. Because you shot then, that right? in there, 15? 2014. 14, okay. Yeah. 2014, yeah. Then the fall of 2014, and it came out 2015. That's what it is. So that you know there's no sky panels, none of that stuff yet. There's stuff, there were, there were, there were one-by-one one panels and two-by-one panels. I don't think light gears have come out yet. No, none of that stuff. So I took a bunch of Kino flows, and I lined them all along the side of the right side of the bus, and then we made a soft box so it looked like it was part of the bus. Mm. So then I powered that off the side, like off the side, like in a generator. I had mm-hmm. like a little Jenny, I like a little putt putt. Those powered that all day. And then whatever interior lights we could get on, we turned on, but they weren't really that much. Right. And I just did a mix of daylight and tungsten. That was it, man. I, it, and then the light coming in and the sun coming in, there's no lights like hanging off the side of the bus and doing all that stuff. You just go, right? And, right? and you just go and you do it. That was a different philosophy, right? And then, you know, because I was experimenting at that point with like, you know, they didn't want to do like certain things. To, like we couldn't get the, this bus running, right? So they're like, oh, I guess we'll just green screen everything. I was like, are you guys crazy? That's going to be like a nightmare. That's going to be a nightmare to green screen. I said, what about rear projection? And I looked into led projection right Mm -hmm. which is you know that's the thing now but in 2014 i found the guy who's now doing like first man and you know he's doing the mandalorian and all this stuff but at the time i found him he had they were just going to do i think it was straight out of compton they were working on something Mm -hmm. and we priced it all out how we're going to do it the whole thing it came off to almost like four hundred thousand dollars and of course you know, on a $9 million movie, nine point, whatever, nine, ten million, they're not going to pay for that. Right. So I said, all right, we're not going to do green screen. We're going to do poor man's. And I said, we're going to see what happens. And there are scenes I could break that down for you. If you were sitting with me and we watched it, mm-hmm. some of them you can tell, some of them you would not be able to tell. Wow. You just, you would think, we think we're in a moving bus at nighttime, but it was, I, I know where they are obviously. And there's right. certain ones where you're like, well, that's clearly poor man's or whatever. And, but I, that was the one thing that just scared the crap out. I just did not want to like screw that up. And then we did it and it worked and it was great. That was a little outside of the box, but I'm just trying to think like where else we're like, and you know, there's big sources in there uh, in certain areas in, in, in that film. I'm just trying to think of all the locations because it was such a long time ago. Um, yeah. Marauders, Marauders. I had a few where, I would like some, a big source outside. And then, there, you know, Marauders, we had to make the rain in that movie. There was no rain in that movie. We made all the rain in that movie. Hmm. Everybody thinks, it's like, God, how'd you guys shoot in the rain? Oh, well, we had to make it, you know. Um, yeah, Line of Duty. Well, Line of Duty was different because the film's majority day exterior, right? There's, right. I think there's only a couple interiors in that movie. There's some interiors in some cars, an apartment building, and an abandoned building. But again, with that, you know, outside, I didn't light a lot outside. I used negative fill mm-hmm. and I used a lot of like rags and, I, and certain things. Yeah, I would use an 18K and a 1.8 and that would really be it. You know, I'd key with an 18K and then I'd edge with a 1.8 and then you just block it out. And, and, and But that was really it, man. I, I didn't do a lot of stuff. Now, when he goes to the house at the end, I blasted the side of the house with 18k 4k hmm. 1818 18k i would just I, and then i just you know atmosphered the whole thing no no lights inside you know and he had a flashlight and he would do it like that um 
Yeah, like, for, and I for those just, that don't know, the movie takes place over a, it's a 90 minute movie and it takes place over 90 minutes, roughly. I mean, exactly. you, you don't, you don't say that exactly, but from, you know, from first shot, first scene that you guys roughly establish, um, the time of day, midday, um, and, yeah. and not to give anything away because it still is a very new movie and a lot of people are probably going to watch it. Um, oh, I hope so. it, it um, uh, not to kill, uh, so I don't give anything away. They have 65 minutes to that's exactly right. 65, 64, if I want to be really very yeah, specific, 64 and a half, 65 minutes yeah. to um, save a young girl's life. And um, from the moment the movie starts to the when the movie ends, roughly 90 to 100 minutes have taken place. So it's, yeah. it's very much midday, the entire movie. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so that was something that, you know, Steven and I had never done before. We had never done a movie all one day exterior or, or one day, you know, for one day. And, and with a good, I'd say, what, 65, 70 percent of the movie was exterior, day exterior with, you know, a few locations here and there. Like they're in an incident police truck. They're inside this abandoned building. Um, and you guys didn't even have inside like, this house. You didn't yeah, have you sunrise know? or sunset to even help fake it. Yeah, I was either. Gonna, I was going to say on a typical movie, all. you know, you have different different no. locations, different scenes where you can kind of do some different things with the lighting. But since you're kind of, you know, compressing time in such a manner on line of duty, did you guys have conversations about like how are we going to have? You know, lighting wise, how will we kind of make this feel different or, you know, give it some new aesthetic? Did you ever talk about anything like that? Yeah, we did, you know, because because it's it's over like a 90 minute period. Obviously, you know, the sun changes. Obviously, it changes. But we were saying, all right, let's say it's like let's say it's like, you know, 12 or something, 12 or one. Right. That's when it starts. And then we finish up around like, you know, 330. Right. But in that time you know, the sun looks different from three 30 than it does from 12. Right? right. So it's, it's like, it's different. So like, if you notice it, when there's a scene where we have this crazy shootout in the middle of this downtown, uh, intersection. And, um, that's probably that every day we probably say that's like, that's like one o'clock or something in movie world. Right. Because the sun's like right above and we're, we're in this cavern of buildings and we're surrounded by all these buildings. So, I was Stephen and I were trying to map the thing to where that we I knew the sun was going to go behind the buildings at a certain time of day that I knew it was going to peek through and then go back behind. So we we plan the day. Right, we're starting here. We we moved with the sun. Mm -hmm. So and I just would block out what I didn't need and then I'd use it when I did need it. You know, and so we tried to change the aesthetic, I guess, by like saying warmer here you know it's warmer here and then when he went inside this building after that scene it's a little more cooler right so we just we wanted to just change it to have a complete contrast from the outside so if you do know some of the interiors are cooler than the exteriors dude that was just because god we're out it's warm it's outside all the time we just wanted to give the viewer a different feel inside those buildings so i guess that was our our yeah. our difference of of look in the movie but still like yeah being being in a movie that's primarily day exterior you're just you, you're in, and it's in somewhat real time or yeah almost caught up to real time you sort of you know what can you do differently to sort of change that and i felt like the action helped a lot i felt like the where we were inside of cars outside on the street interior buildings exterior you know i i felt that was enough to sort of 
yes, we're still on the same journey with these two actors, but I still felt like having those breakup of going inside outside, which we needed. Right. Um, I think that made a difference and a difference in the photography. At least I hope it did. So that's what, that's it, what I mean. It came, about. it came across for me, uh, personally. Uh, now with that still on same track with this, with uh, line of duty, there's, um, there's a use of a handheld, uh, little, um, help me out here. The, the reporter has this little handheld, um, Oh yeah. Like the little DGI, uh, uh, camera thing that sort of live streaming. Yeah, she's thing. she's like live yeah. streaming as like a beat reporter, and she and you, you kind of go back and forth in, in the world of, um, um, you know, breaking the fourth wall. She's literally, in the movie yeah. and then back into the virtual world and then back into the movie and back into her camera. Right? Yeah, that, and so it, it, it happens. It happens throughout. He throws the the um, throws the camera through a window at one point, and you see it like yeah. tumbling. It's you know one of the one of the little comic relief moments in the in the film how how did how how was your mindset like knowing that you had to break away from the standard you standard camera use and you had to actually you know like you know obviously i know you faked using an iphone with the with the um you know the little um gimbal gimbal but uh, how did how did that play into your um your storyboarding and just how you wanted to bring the viewer along from um um this like reality moment that it occasionally came up right i think uh, that's a good question um and that was something steven and i talked about a lot because there was a lot more than in the script and we were like we're not making a found footage movie no fucking way you know sorry for my my language we're like because i've made found footage movies nothing wrong with those but i just we did not want the movie to become a gimmick and we did not want it to be cheapened by an iphone or not to say that look you can shoot great stuff on an iphone i i don't think you should be shooting movies on iphone but whatever but that just that's just my opinion but uh, we the way we were using it as a tool inside of the movie because we didn't want to i just didn't want we didn't want to throw people out of the movie and make it all about Ava's camera following a cop because we could have done that. We could have made the whole movie on, on the iPhone. You know, you could do that. I don't think it would be as successful. Um, I just don't, I, I just didn't want to do, we didn't want to do that. Right. So I for mean, one, I, not to interrupt so you we, to, I, I honestly got scared about seven or eight minutes into the movie thinking that that's what it was about to become. And oh, yeah. And, and I, and I, and I knew a lot of people probably would. And, and, but I think it did not. And, and I'm thankfully gl- I'm very, very grateful it did not. Cause right around that yeah, seven or eight see? minute mark, I was like, Oh, son of a, if this is, <laughs> if this movie turns into this as, as much as I'm admiring this, this DP and I'm going to power through this movie, it, please, 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 please don't let this turn into this. And it, and it didn't. Um, yeah. and I'm very, no, and I'm, I'm happy to, to hear that you guys slashed, um, however much you did. Oh yeah. No, that was a conscious decision. I mean, there was like, a, you know, we put a, we put a camera on Aaron, we tried that. It didn't work. It just was too much. There, there was more. There was so much of that footage that producers kept wanting to do that. And Steven kept saying, no, I don't want to make a found footage movie. We're making an action movie. We're making a movie. We're not making a found footage movie. This is just a tiny element of this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Even though it's being live streamed. Because original, originally the name of the movie was called Live. And then we changed it to Line of Duty because Live just – didn't work because some people call it live you know <laughs> yeah. just like can we get two tickets to live no i don't <laughs> think so but, no, um 
but it just, it, it, it wasn't, it didn't work. Yeah. It's a marketing thing. I know. I don't deal with that stuff. And I thought line of duty worked. And, but the thing was, it's just like, you could have gone down that rabbit hole. You could have gone down the way of found footage and that sort of everything's from Ava's camera. And it, I don't think the movie would have been as successful. I really do. I think the one movie that rode the fine line where it was, I felt it was starting to be found footage and then it changed and went back to na- more narrative was uh, End of Watch. Did you mm, ever see that movie? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that movie started like on their dashboard camera and then it started to cover scenes normally. Right. And I didn't know where that was going to go, but I appreciate that movie now because it rode that line of like, you know, this could go one way or the other, but it stayed on that fine line of like, we're still making a movie. And right. that's what Steven and I did. We, we made a conscious decision just not to go down that rabbit hole of like a, you know, a paranormal or something like that. We just didn't want to do that. We, you know, we, we, we got the cameras, we got the Panavision anamorphics, we got the minis. We, we, you know, we, this is what we do. This is what we have with the lights. We're not, we're not making a movie with the iPhone. Okay. We're making a movie. We're making a movie with cameras or lights, actors. Let's do this right. So that was our, that was the decision we made, you know, and we chose to cut less, to, to do less of the, of the, of the reporter stuff and just do more of the movie. Just do it little bits. You know, I think we sprinkled it out pretty good. Right. You know, Kevin, I think, I, you, I think you, you did. You feel- uh, like, like I said, when, when, um, somewhere in the seven to 10 minute mark, uh, you guys go to that camera roughly about three times and, yeah. um, that's when you start wondering, uh, is this is what it's about to turn into? And it was just to <laughs> yeah. do it. The way I, t- I took it was it was to do a uh, essentially like a hard end, like a like a cold like a cold start. You guys, you just kind of j- embraced it. You jumped in, and said, "Hey, just so you guys know, as you watch the movie, this is going to happen a few times. This is happening." Um, yeah. And 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 in order to really make sure that the audience, the the viewer, understood that, you guys did it three times in like a three minute span, which felt like a lot, but then it was just a, just a, you know, nosedive, just jump right in. And, and then you guys sprinkle it out throughout, um, quite nicely. Uh, the camera movements around the little gimbal handheld reporter yeah. cam were pretty interesting as well. Um, you, you always made it a point to when you would show the reporter, um, I'm already mm-hmm. forgetting her name. Um, I, Oh, Ava Brooks, Ava, that was you. her name. Um, but her the actress's name is Courtney Courtney Eaton. No matter. Um, so anytime you're you're around Ava, I, I didn't notice that um the the camera movement was very methodical. It was it was it was more about the actress rather than the actual rig. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. was that you as an operator saying, you know, we're gonna we're gonna show this, but I'm not gonna really focus on it. Yeah, well, what it was was like a lot of that stuff. I let her film herself, you know, because I just didn't. I, I and it wasn't and it wasn't one of those things where I was like I ah, just let her film it. We'll figure it out. It, it was just one of those things where we just like yeah, let her film it. And then certain things were like Aaron's running and she's running after him. I would do one of those, or I'd let her do one, just because we'd want to do it. And um, and there's a scene where they, you know, where he takes her camera, breaks it through the window, <laughs> and they they agree that they're going to work together um, right after that scene where they say, okay, hey, let's go do this. Aaron takes off and runs down the stairs um, and Ava's running after him. I just, that was one of those scenes where I just took it and I ran right along with him and just did it. And, but you know, 
again, it was one of those things. I just let her have it. And just, you know, we would look through it and Steven would find certain things and say, Oh yeah, I'll use that. Or yeah, I'll use, but it always knowing, always knowing that he's like, I'm not, again, I'm not relying on that stuff. And the producers at one time, they were all like, Oh, more of that more. They wanted more of the, you know, the small camera stuff. And Steven pushed back and said, no, we're not doing that. We're, we're, we don't, we're not making this, you know, this type of movie, we're making it this type of movie. So don't get, don't use that stuff as a crutch, you know, because, um, it just cheap. I felt, I just felt, and we felt it cheapened the movie. It just, and, and I'm so thankful that we didn't result into doing that because I just don't think the movie would be, would have been as successful or people would like it as much as they do. So that kind of brings some questions to mind, you know, just kind of what you're talking about with the battle of, you know, the found footage versus that. And you've also made a couple other comments earlier that kind of how much, you know, just as your job job as a DP is the balancing of the art of the film versus what you know that you need in order to, you know, have the edit. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things where you got to just, I think if you have somebody you work with that you trust, you know that they're going to get it. You, you guys are getting it together right. and you're moving along at a fast pace and you're getting it. Um, you know, you got to remember like as a cinematographer, um, you find a look with your director and you guys sort of stick to that aesthetic. And along the way you find little things or try experiments and Hey, Oh, we, maybe we thought something was going to work and we ended up, finding something else out of performance and it worked differently lighting wise and story wise, whatever. Um, you're constantly, the movie's constantly evolving as you're shooting, right. you know, and you're, you're finding the look of the movie as you're shooting because you can plan on as much as you want and sort of have an aesthetic of what you're doing, but you are really developing the thing as you're shooting. You're finding the, you're finding the movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, yeah, you have to find that balance of getting everything you need within the scene, but also artistically making it appeasing to you and to the viewer and to the director. Right. And not, not, um, how should I put this? Not take people out of it, not just make it all about the way it looks, but make it about the story and tell the story visually the best. Because, you know, you can be on a movie and be like, oh, I'm going to, make this look amazing and I'm going to make my reel look great and this is going to look so good and I'm going to look like a hero and all that stuff. If you're doing that, you're in the wrong business, man. Yeah, it's and like, you probably won't have a movie at the end of it go, because... Yeah, go shoot commercials, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, go shoot commercials, dude, because like you're just serving yourself, you right. know, and that's not a movie. You have to serve the story right. and you have to serve the director and you have to serve the actors and, and, if you, and if you're there to just like get your demo reel on, man, like I said, go shoot commercials. It's mm-hmm. like, Go shoot music videos because it's, it's, it's not about you. A movie is bigger than one person. There's so many people that takes to make a movie. And like, if you work with a team of people that believe in your vision and the director believes in your vision and he has a vision and the production designer and the costume designer, all these things come into play, you know? Right. And, 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 it, and, it, and it's like, that's how you get your art, you know, mm-hmm. it's the collaboration, right? Yeah, sure. And if everybody's done their job in pre-pro, it's going to show up on the screen. If one person's like, no, I got to have this thing there and I got to do this and because it's, this is the way it is and that and that, it's, the movie's going to suffer, you know? And so everybody tries to put their egos aside and just say like, yeah, we'll get, 
you know, normally when I put something together lighting wise, and normally when Steven and I talk about it, we know it's going to look cool. And then, you know, you always put the lens up and you see it at the, through the lens and you're just like, man, that looks way cooler than what we thought. You know, <laughs> that came out way cooler than we thought. And sometimes I'm surprised and sometimes I'm like, ah, man, I wish I did that. But, but that's what's so great about, you know, cinematography and making movies. It's like you're presently surprised all the time, you know? Yeah. And I try to keep that excitement in sometimes, but sometimes it's just like, Hell yeah, that's awesome! You know, <laughs> I want people to know our excitement. You know how how because, are you with that? Are you able to watch? Uh, you know, especially Spielberg. You know, you hear a lot of people have a hard time watching their own stuff. Uh, are you able to to watch the movies that you've made? Yeah, I have. It's funny enough. I was I watched The Collector last week because it was on Amazon. <laughs> I mean, I'm so damn lazy. I have the Blu-ray, right? I could put it in, but like, I was on Amazon. <laughs> And I was passing through and it said, I was like, oh, cool. I wanted to see the, what the quality of the download looked sure. like, right? I just stream. And it looked great. I was like, wow, this looks really good. And I ended up just watching the whole thing. And of course, I was cringing at so many things. Oh, man, why did I do that? But then I stopped and i like, you know what? That was in 2009. It was 10 years ago, you know? Uh, and I looked at, or 2008, so 11 years ago. And I looked at it and I'm like, you know, that's where you were at that time in your career. That's your, that was your aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't mock it. Just go like, all right, cool. Learn from it. And, and I did. And I was just like, I, I kept going, God, what was I doing there? What was I thinking there? And it, it, it was interesting. It was a really cool, it was a really cool um, exercise to go back and look at something and really look at it and go, wow, what, where was my mind there then? And what was I, I wonder what was driving me in that. So yeah, you know, I, I, I can watch my work and look at it and, and I try to learn from it, you know, just like I try to learn every time I watch a movie and every time I, I step on set, I learn something, you know, right. and you know, I learned something from the from the shoot we did. So it's 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 it, I think if you can keep an open mind and an open book on things and just really be, um, you know, open to open to stuff and not be so closed off and like, you know, it's my way or the highway and it, I'm only, I'm the only one and I wear a beret and a scarf and I've got an ascot and a monocle and, you know, I'm, I'm the master. You know, it's like none of that stuff, man. It's, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. Just, yeah. I, I think if you can be humble and also learn, always constantly feeding your brain with images, always being a student of cinematography, not a master of cinematography. Right. Does that make sense? I've yep. said that before. And I just, I don't think you'll ever master it. I think you can get good at it. And I think you can, you know, hold your own with it, but I don't think you'll ever be a master. I think if you, the day you stop learning is the day you just quit. Right. You know, that's just, that's just the way I feel. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, that just, <laughs> just, uh, got, I mean, it, it's, it, a lot of people need to take that advice. Honestly, they, they need to to hear that and let that resonate in their minds on a day to day basis. Um, so very well played as well as, as well as with the teamwork, you know, on set and everyone being a contributing member. Cause you know, I'm sure everyone's been on one of those projects where, you know, the ego gets in the way and you know, Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that it's unfortunate and it happens not even in the film business happens in, you know, every, 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 everywhere there's, there's, you know, pardon the phrase, but there's always one asshole somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Everyone's and, got them, yeah. 
everybody's got them. And, and it's like life is too short to work with those type of people. So I try to, I try now to work with people I really like and I get along with. That's why I try to work with Dave, always mm-hmm. working with Steven, you know, always working with some of the same people because we like, we like working with each other and it's fun and we know we're going to have fun. And, and, you know, uh, Larry Shear said something great about somebody asked him about Todd Phillips said, you know, filmmaking is not brain surgery, man, or, or, or it's jazz. Filmmaking's jazz, man. You know, just, just have fun and just like, let it go and hmm. yeah, have a game plan, have a plan, but just don't treat it like you're curing, uh, uh, you know, a disease or something, you know, right. cause some people are so just like, it's gotta be like this and it's gotta be like this. And it's just like, dude, no, it doesn't. You're making yourself crazy. It, it, you should be having fun. We're, we are very fortunate to work in a business where we can tell stories and where we can, you know, frankly, you know, you're playing around with camera and you're telling a story. Yeah. You're telling you, make believe it's the Wes Craven said at one time that I really kind of, kind of attached to was he talks about, you know, us making movies is the equivalent to everyone gathering around the the fires back in the day and listening to the shamans tell stories and how that would, you know, advance society and teach the youngers and, you know, us gathering in a field. That's why I hate that, you know, we're getting away from theaters into the, you know, into the ease of just watching it at home, because I feel like there is a shared experience in a darkened room with strangers that, you know, we're going to lose out on. And I don't think people I, really I appreciate agree, that. Man. I agree. Like, I, I mean, not to get off track, I saw a movie two nights ago, um, classmate of mine did that. Uh, well, she was behind me, but I saw that movie queen and slim, mm-hmm. yeah. um, directed by Melina Masakis. And like, I knew, I've known Melina and, and, you know, I watched her, you know, she was a cinematography major at AFI. And then she got into music videos, and then from there she met some people and she started directing. You know, that was her first feature. I'm so glad I saw that movie in the in the, in the theater because that's one of those movies. It's not mm. a big movie, but it's an important movie to see in the theater. Right. Yeah, shot anamorphic, shot on 35, really good cast, wow. really good story. It's got a message behind it. You know, regardless if you like it or not, people should go see movies like that in the theater. Right. You know, not just wait for a streaming thing. You know, I, I was. I was disappointed Line of Duty didn't get in more theaters, but it did play in theater in Tampa, though, I think. I think it played in a few, few theaters yeah, I think in Tampa, it did. actually. Yep. Um, but, you know, people the, in the 15 cities it played in, and people were lucky enough to go see it, you know? I was lucky enough to go see it in the theater. You know, I got to watch it in the DI, you know, big every week when I was working on right. it. But to see it and experience it, like you said, with an audience – you can't get that at home, man. No. You know, you, you can pause it. You can go walk away. You can answer your phone. You can yep. go, you know, go on the internet. You know, it, it's just such a disconnect. Right. Uh, watching a movie at home. Yes, you can enjoy it, but there it is. And seeing a movie with an audience is always a great thing. I agree with you. And it's always going to be better sound. Would. It's always going to be better sound. It's always going to be a better image. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, you're getting the best version of what everyone intended you to see at the theater. Um, I, I agree. So I just got I got in an argument with someone about this the other day. They talked about they don't go to movies anymore. They watch everything from home, and you know I'm like I, I get it, um, but you know everything else in life that you do, you know you go do that, you know where it's intended to be done at. 
you know, outside of maybe some yes. live sports. But I, I still think there's an argument for live sports of sports are better when you're live, you know. Um, of course. So, but, you know, to each his own. I under I understand some of the people's take on it, but, um, you know, of course they always throw back at you. Well, you know, that's that's the industry you're in. That's where you work. And I'm like, yeah, but it's 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 not that. I mean, it's like it's a it's about us trying to keep our humanity and connect with each other and tell stories and learn about shared experiences and past experiences and you know taking well, that yeah, forward and sit, and sit in a sit in a room full of strangers you don't even yep. know um you laugh at stuff laugh, that you wouldn't cry, normally yeah i mean it's feel emotions together yep, you know yep and um i agree with you man i mean i i hope that people still keep going to the film to the movies because i mean yes you're gonna have your tentpole movies your avengers you're gonna have all your marvel your star wars these big movies but i'm telling you man there's these little movies like this queen and slim slim movie and you know the lighthouse and even joker man joker's like joker wasn't a big movie it was a 55 million dollar movie in today's market 55 million's like that's a lot of money don't get me wrong but in the sense of a movie like that it's not that much. Right. And that movie grossed over a billion dollars. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm so happy, happy I saw that movie in the theater, you know? I wouldn't want to watch that at home. I mean, it just wouldn't feel the same. Right. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that was definitely a, a theater movie. I mean, I, oh, 100%. I, I, have, I have a two-year-old, and so going to the theater is very difficult. Um, yeah, and, of course, and, and um, so there there are certain movies that I'm like, all right, I you know I, I I'm gonna wait for this one to come home, you know, come to to a streaming platform of some sort, so that way I can see it here, put him to bed. But there's other movies that my wife and I are like, nope, finding a babysitter, yeah, and 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 Joker <laughs> Joker was one, and um, you know nowadays we we her and I were. Um, uh, still watch movies on a very regular basis, um, but we were theater sure. we were theater nuts um, going easily easily once a month and that you know that minimum um and you know ever since connor was born it's um a lot harder but you have you have to go and experience it because um you know something that you guys said that needs to be repeated i think is that's the way it was intended mm-hmm. um you know the that's right. the screen the, the the visuals and the audio that was how it was intended and i i, I think a lot of people do not realize that have you seen, like, recently you talked about streamers and stuff like that. I mean, have you seen any increased demand from your side as a DP to do things differently or shoot different formats or anything like that? I mean, or is it just kind of uh, business as usual? No, not, not, not at all. No, I mean, because I, you know, I, I talk to um, – I have a lot of friends in the, in the business. And I have a lot of friends that work for Netflix. I've shot Netflix movies. It's the same thing. I mean, it's really the same cameras, the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my buddy that shot Dr. Sleep also shot, um, uh, was it the Haunting a Hill House series, Michael Filamignari. And Michael shot Aerie 65 for Haunting a Hill House. And he shot Aerie 65 for Dr. Sleep. Same camera, you yeah. know. And, um, you know, I thought Hill House looked great. I thought Dr. Sleep looked great. They're just doing the same thing. It's just a different different yeah. things so i don't i don't think the production and the cameras have changed i mean what does scare me is if you know these these startups that are coming like quibi and all that stuff where they're going to be showing like 10 minutes of a movie mm-hmm. that eventually all 
be a movie and you're supposed to watch it on your phone or something, which yeah. that it's phone of, only. I'm they're, not really. They're shooting the I'm whole not really thing jazzed on. about watching a movie on my phone. I'm, yeah. I don't really subscribe to that. In ten, yeah, in ten minute YouTube spurts. Thing. I mean, you can't even get connected. Yeah, it's like that's not a movie, man. It's yeah. like, come on. Yeah. Um, you know, but but so, yeah, as far as as far as to answer your question, no, I, I think all that's still the same. All there's still. Regardless if it's being streamed or put in the theater, they're still using the same cameras, still taking the same, the same sort of notion of 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 making a a, a narrative piece, yeah. just like a, you know how you shoot a movie. So no, I that that's answer your question. I think all that's still staying the same. Gotcha. Um, as far as the color grade, you know, end of it goes for you. Um, sure. You know, how early on does that conversation start, and when do you start kind of diving into that, and you know, just kind of what's your process? Um, well, it starts in pre-production because Stephen and I use a really talented colorist over at Company Three. Her name is Jill Bogdanowitz, mm-hmm. and to name a few movies of what she's done this year, she colored Doctor Sleep and she colored Joker. So the, the, there's a few, you know. She was and busy. Still a line of duty. So there you go. <laughs> but, but, she had a busy but, year. Uh, but Jill, yeah, Jill. Jill is uh, she is a, a wizard, and she. Um, I've done, I think we've done four or five movies with Jill, but I've known Jill since I was in, when I was at AFI, she was just coming up as a colorist and, you know, I'm coming up as a cinematographer and and we would take field trips from AFI. Like one of the first field trips we took was Technicolor was called TDI and that was their first sort of DI facility, but DIs in 2002, oh my God, they were, they were astronomical and really hard to afford. And so that technology had then since has come down now and now everybody's doing, you know, coloring digitally and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But that was, they were still making prints. They were still coloring photochemically. That was the sort of thing. You either colored photochemically or you colored digitally. Right. And so, um, I watched her grow and she worked for Clint Eastwood for a while. She jumped around, worked with Joe Carnahan. Um, and then, you know, one of her, I, I was really proud of her when she got onto Wes Anderson's, um, Grand Budapest Hotel. I mean, she worked on that for months and that movie's gorgeous. If you love yeah, Wes Anderson, I, I, I love that movie. And then with Joker, Joker was unique because, um, Jill's father worked for Kodak for many years. He was, a, he was, he developed film stocks, wow. you know, he was a color science guy. And so that, and Jill's a painter as well. And so she went and talked to her dad and they made, they created a LUT together and proposed it to Larry. And that was what you see in the movie is that LUT, you know, and obviously Larry, Larry made his tweaks on it, whatnot, but it has a, there is a filmic look to Joker. Joker was shot digitally, you know, Joker was shot Aerie 65. And that was a, that was a thing, you know, they wanted it. Todd wanted to shoot film. Larry wanted to shoot digital. Larry got to shoot digital and they did a side by side. You know, he picked the, the digital and, wow. and, and, and just, just the, having that going back to your, your question, I'm sorry, I got off tangent going okay, back fine. to your question. Yes. You should, you should have those conversations early with production because, you know, they may have somebody in mind and not to say that they're that person, you know, they always like, Oh, I have a friend in this color place. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I don't really want to go there, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's not, that's not disgrace them. So you have to get on that early. And then what, it, what I do is Jill has made about, 10 or 15 LUTs that I always put in my camera and I pop them in and I scroll through them and sort of find those. And then like for now on the next movie I do, whatever we do, I'm going to probably talk to her, tell her what I want to do, 
visually, these are my references and she'll make some LUTs and then I'll bring those LUTs. I'll put them in the camera. We'll use them. They're just a template to sort of show everybody, Hey, this is where we can go with it. Right. And then when they're done with editing, if our aesthetics change, which it probably doesn't just a little bit, you know, we still talk to Jill. I show her stills. I show her scenes. What do you think in here? What we, we have long, we have conversations about this a lot and I trust her tremendously. Like I could sit down, have Jill take the entire movie, pre-color it, come in and make minimal changes because she has the LUT that she made and she sees where I'm going with it. Now, yes, you go in and you adjust. Oh, I need a window there. Yeah, I need this. I need to bring this down and do that. But that's how untuned I am with Jill. Nice. Is that's how that's how dialed in we are. How so, much how much of that process has kind of changed what you do now as far as shooting the film? I mean, there's so much more capabilities well, with it now than what there used to be, but yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, there's things where I'll like, if I know something's like, if I didn't have time to put up a flag or have some, I'll, say, but I'll, I'll know in my head, oh, I'll take that down. I'll do this. And mm-hmm. then, you know, the key grip of the gaffer will look at me like, oh, you're not going to remember. <laughs> and, and lo and behold, I, I have a freaking weird sense of like photographic memory where I will remember that. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh yeah, this is the scene. Take this down, do this, do this, and this. And they're like, oh dude, oh look, and they'll never mention it again. The guys will never mention it again <laughs> because it's like, oh, you didn't see that flag I put there. They're like, you know, oh yeah, man, you did that because there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things, yeah. And I don't like the phrase "fix it in post," mm-hmm. and it is kind of using that. But if you know the power of the DI suite and know what you can do in there, you can get away with some of that stuff. Right. Yes, of course, I'd always like to set flags and do all that stuff that, on set. But you just sometimes you just don't have the time, you know? Right. And you just got to work quickly. But knowing what you can do in the DI is just and, – and having an ally in Jill, it's a huge, you know, it's a huge, huge win, I think, for me. And also just, just a comfortability with somebody that you have a second hand. I mean, I can color a movie in a day and a half with Jill and then go back and use the rest of the time just tweak. That's how fast she was. Yeah. That's, that's, you can't beat that. So that's another reason why I go to her speed, her speed. She is so fast. And, you know, and I've worked with colorists that like they stack layers. And then once you start affecting one thing, it affects everything and they're just doing it wrong. Whereas Jill can just like, even on her, sort of i'd call it her rough pass her first rough pass it's so even dialed in just within that yes with some minor tweaks and stuff but it's already dialed in pretty damn good you know um very rarely do i go back and go you know what Jill? now we got to rework that that very 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 rarely happens and if it does we find it she's like yeah you know what i'm not feeling that let me try this boom and as i'm saying hey i think we need a little more it's done you know she knows she just understand and that and those and again that's that's having a second hand with somebody it's like right. with somebody you that directs somebody that pulls focus it's somebody that you know colors and so yeah i think having a colorist you're friends with and having the colorist involved from the ground up you know from pre-pro on to production on to pre-post-production is so essential i think because mm-hmm. a lot of people just go and meet their colorist when yeah. they don't with the movie oh yeah yeah here you go it's like how can you work with somebody like that yeah movies yeah. already shot a lot of those decisions have already been made and you know hi how are you so yeah exactly exactly 
so yeah, so I hope that answered your question on that. No, so. for sure. It's perfect. So if yeah. that if that starts in the pre-production process, can you kind of talk through um, what else happens in pre-pro leading into actual production? I mean, whether it's um, how you do your shot list, equipment, crew, what's what's kind of your normal process? Well, the normal process, obviously, after I've read the script, is Stephen and I... I always use Steven because I work with Steven the most. <laughs> I'll just use Steven as an example. So Steven and I, we we do this thing where we, we read the script and then we ask each other, all right, what movies do you want to, re- you, you, you think reference this? And we normally pick the same ones. And there's always like one or two that, you know, oh, well, we should watch that together. And we try to watch movies together. So we do that. We'll start watching movies together. Then we start breaking down the sequences as in action sequences, if there are any. And then we start breaking down the tone of it. And then what I do is I use a program that, funny again, I, I'm, I should be like the self-promoter for Larry Shear. Um, <laughs> Larry developed this program, which is in beta, which when it does come out, I will share with you guys because it's incredible. Oh, thanks. Um, it's, a, it's a program called Shot Deck. And you basically can build your movie with Inside Shot Deck. And it's over, I think, over 200,000 stills from movies that he's pulled. Wow. And, and you can take those, put them in a folder and rearrange them and sort of have a visual look of what your movie's going to look like with other movies. And I'm adding my movies into there now. And um, Larry will be adding Joker and all this stuff, but he's constantly adding movies in there. And it's a really cool tool and it's going to, it's going to, it'll come, it become available soon. Wow. But anyway, that's one of the tools we use. Then I'll start to pull together my crew as Steven's, you know, in the same time, unfortunately, when you're doing this, the movie's not fully cast. So he's looking at casting stuff. I'm I'm feeling out crew, trying to get as many crew of my crew on as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having to interview locals and that sort of thing. We're, lo- we're location scouting with the, with the production designer, trying to find our our ideal locations for each scene. Um you're talking to the transpo coordinator about what cars we're going to use. You're talking to props. You're talking to um, production design again, back with the producers. Will this fit in the budget? Do we need, um, pro- you know, any kind of process vehicle, uh, you know, a car with an arm on it? What what the stunt guys need? What, um, you know, all of this is coming into play. Then I have a kind of call to call the Panavision, call Company 3 to talk to Jill, my colorist. All of this stuff is coming into play and you're, and you're still, while all this is going on, you're still maintaining focus of the movie and maintaining right. focus of what it's going to look like and keeping that, that through line and, and using shot deck. What I'll do is not only do I create a folder and I share with everybody and you can, you can multi-share with everybody. Um, I then go to a, like a Kinko's or whatever. And I print about 70 stills and I plaster them all over our office. Cause Steven and I always share an office and we'll plaster them all over those. So we absorb ourselves in that movie. So we're absorbing the images that we're creating so that we're, we're both seeing it the same way. And the more we can see the movie the same way with everybody, not just Steven and I, but with production, with costume, with makeup, all that, then everybody's on the same page. Nobody's getting left out, you know? We're all trying to, we're all trying to do the same thing is make a good project. And then the more you can share and collaborate the C word, which I like to use a lot in collaboration, um, you know, that it's just going to make a successful film. I feel 
So that's what's going on basically in pre-pro. Nice. That's all of that. Yeah. It's, there's so much more into it than what people think, man. Oh man, I know. I, you know, and I, and I, it's easy to, you know, watch a movie and say, oh, that's junk or this is garbage mm-hmm. and oh, Rotten Tomatoes gives you a splat and all that stuff. But those guys don't know what it yeah. takes to make a movie. And, and, and I, you know, I used to go, oh, I don't like that movie, blah, blah, blah. And now after actually doing it, working in it, man, I don't care what the movie is, man. It's hard. It's hard right. to make a movie. And it's a lot of work. And regardless if you like a movie or not, just when people say that, they just completely disrespect all the people that made that thing, regardless if they like it or not. I'm not saying, you know, you don't, you're not supposed to like everything because that's why we're human and we have opinions and whatnot. But just, you know, don't just crap over all the people that made that movie, man. You know, it's yeah. hard. Yeah, you know? it is. And it takes forever. Yeah. I mean, you, you, oh, you make you diving into from when you get the green light to when you dive into pre-pro production post and then it actually gets released i mean you're yeah. you're talking you're talking a year uh, 18 months i mean there are some projects yeah. that have been two years in the making uh mm-hmm. five years in the mm-hmm. making hell uh and for it to be seen by thousands upon thousands of people there's there's something to be said for that Oh, of course. And, and, you know, going back to what you just said, you know, one year, two years. I mean, I did this movie with RZA from Wu-Tang Clan, this movie that's coming out finally in March. It's going to premiere at South by Southwest, which I'm excited for because I've never been there. But um, it's this movie we made called Cutthroat City. I shot that movie in the fall, well, October, November, December of 2017. Wow. There you go. Wow. Okay. And a lot of it, a lot of it had to do with the post schedule. It was just in Riz's schedule. And then he went, you know, like this summer or this year, he's been doing all of this stuff with Wu-Tang. So that, you know, that takes away. And then he had a side project for, with Hulu where they did a biopic about Wu-Tang. And so, you know, he, he's got all these things. And so it slowed down the process. But now we went back last fall and, we wanted to add some additional scenes. So I went back to new Orleans shot with, um, Ethan Hawk. We got Ethan Hawk in there, which is, he was incredible. And, um, we did some scenes with him and now that made the movie better. And I'm kind of glad we waited because I don't think we would have gotten Ethan Hawk if we did. So it kind of, in the end, it's a long process to wait for, but in the end, I think it's going to be rewarding because when people see it, they'll feel, oh, yeah, yeah, this is cool, you know, and they'll forget how long it took and all that. I'll just be happy that we put this movie out and, and it's there. So, yeah, I mean, but it, it happens, man. Yeah, like you guys say, it, it, you can get it just, you know, with funding and things happen and, you know, it just you just never know what's going to happen with the movie. And, and, and nowadays... Movies right now, especially right now, are, are becoming extremely hard to fund yep. for some reason. And are, are, are you kind of seeing that they're also wanting you to film it quicker, you know, less days? Or oh, Of course. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yep. 100%. And, I, and I just don't – I think there's just a, a really danger in that because mm-hmm. not only is this, the product's going to suffer, but, you know, it's dangerous to work that fast. Right. And, you know, I still thought, you know – Steven and I had 25 days to shoot line of duty with two additional pickup days, you know, a year, you know, a few months later, just of, 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 uh, you know, just some additional stuff in LA that we did. But 
you know, I thought, I thought 25 days was too less because of the amount of stunts we had. Right. And, you know, doing stunts is dangerous. You know, you, you got to take all the precautions and, and, yep. and when you, when you're doing that and prepping and somebody can get hurt. Yep. And so, yeah, you know, I, I don't know why I, I honestly, well, I mean, I do know why, why they want to do it in less days. And, you know, we could have a whole nother sidebar conversation <laughs> about that, but um, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole with that, but I mean, it's just, yeah, it's money. It's always money and, yep. and people want to get paid more and they figured if they cut days, yep. they could put more money in their pockets. And I don't think that necessarily is a smart move. And, you know, I think just, I, I just want to see whatever the movie is. I just want to see all the money go up on the screen. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. That's it. So what, uh, what other movies do you have coming out that people should, uh, keep an eye out for? What? Well, we do have, like I said, that one with Riz, a Cutthroat City is coming out in March. And then really right now, that's it. Steven and I have a few things that may happen, um, one of which is with the writer of Man Down. There's a Shia LaBeouf movie where he's a soldier. I think Gary Oldman's in it. He's in it. Clifton Collins, um, Jay Courtney, Jai Courtney, and... Um, I can't remember who else is there's the female leads escaping me right now. But anyway, that writer, he also wrote, there's a Netflix movie um, that Joe Lynch directed called point blank um, with Frank Grillo and Anthony Mackie wrote that mm-hmm. we're in talks with him right now. Cause he has this really cool action script. Um, we're trying to maybe get that off the ground. Steven has a really cool horror project that we may get off the ground. So a lot of this stuff is just in sort of, you know, I, I wish I could say, yes, it's happening now. Um, it'll happen. And then, you know, when it does happen, I'll let you guys know, but right now it's just, there's a lot of things. I'm up for a horror movie or, or a thriller through uh, ghost house, mm-hmm. um, which is Sam Raimi's company. Um, there's that, there was a, there's a TV series possibly in New Orleans. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, keeping the options open but nothing is sort of solidified yet so i have i'm, I'm what they call uh uh spinning the plates as we speak <laughs> and, and 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 when the plates fall and there's one left that's the one i'm gonna do yeah sure so uh well dude we appreciate the hell out of you coming on today um you killed it uh, this was something that like once we started you know, rolling with the podcast, I said, I've got to get Brandon on. We've got to talk to Brandon. He's got to be one of the oh, first, thanks, he's got to be one of the first dudes. Um, but just, just let everyone know where they can find you, um, on the interwebs. Oh yeah. Okay. So on, on Twitter, I'm only on Twitter and Instagram. I'm not on Facebook. Unfortunately, I've just, I've never done Facebook, but, um, you can go to my, Instagram is uh, B-C-O-X-D-P, so it's B-C-O-X, at BCOXDP, and, and it's the same for Twitter. They're both the same. And on my website's my name, www.brandoncoxdp.com, but that needs a complete facelift, which is happening. Um, <laughs> that's always uh, a story, man. Like That's you, always a story, right? Yeah. You're always trying to put more on it. But and yeah, Instagram, it, yeah. I'm, pretty, I'm, pretty, uh, I'm pretty weekly daily on that. Um, probably should slow down, but yeah, that's, that's where we are with that. But yeah, you can always check me there. Yeah. Twitter. I definitely recommend anyone to follow Brandon on his Instagram. Cause you always post a lot of good stuff and you know, it's very insightful, you know, for the most part. So I think they can get a lot of knowledge from, from your posts on there. 
um, and not oh, just from behind the behind the scenes stuff, but just really kind of you know we'll be able to take away something from it. But um, yeah, yeah, man, yeah, appreciate the hell out of you, dude. Really appreciate hey, you coming on, you. dude. Thank you so much. I, w- I wish we could go another hour, but I don't want to bore anybody. <laughs> hey, there's, a, there's there's no boredom. There's there. another there's another day down the road, man. There's always more, and we'll have more projects to talk about then. So you know, it's all good. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry. If you gained any value from the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any suggestions for guests or topics, contact us on Instagram at Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry. This show was recorded at Two Stories Media Studios in Clearwater, Florida, and produced by Two Stories Media and Greenlit Entertainment.